0: Hello, I'm Jim White. Welcome to It's Friday, bringing you news of the best of arts, culture and entertainment to perk up your lockdown life. You can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And don't forget to sign up for the daily MailPlus briefing at mailplus.co.uk. This week we're warming up our larynx to hit the high note, the new movie about an aging musical superstar.
1: If you told 12-year-old
2: me that one day I'd be working for Grace Davis, she's an icon. I know you think that she's going to give you this life-changing shot. Make you her producer? Yet This woman doesn't even know your last name.
0: And we're going both higher and indeed lower as Alan Carr revives a raft of our favorite television game shows. Bigger games, bigger prizes. It's guaranteed to be a night of surprises. Better than any night on the town. So if you game, come on down. Plus, we'll be enjoying the latest from a scion of one of Britain's foremost musical dynasties, Teddy Thompson, the son of Richard and Linda. One day soon when you're all alone at a light, You're gonna miss me Before all that, though, we're taking a trip to the dark side. And no, we don't mean Barnard Castle. This week, a survey was unveiled, revealing the nation's favorite movie and television villain. It was apparently this guy, Thanos.
1: When we faced extinction, I offered a solution. genocide.
0: But random. Uh, Brand Thanos uh, to me sounds like a Greek island and about scary. Uh, how how okay. come he came out as the <laughs> scariest villain of all time? I can't
2: work that out. I, I think the way they did it, Jim, was by collecting the number of internet clicks and the number of adding up the number of column inches devoted to all these various villains in the past few years, and then they decided that Thanos is the guy that, you know, we're most interested in and therefore he tops the list. I mean, he is a good villain, no doubt about it. Very well done by Josh Brolin. and But personally, I, I prefer my villains to be rooted a bit more in reality than, you know, special okay. Effects. Uh,
0: okay, Brian, so what makes a really good movie villain for you?
2: I think it needs to be sort of rooted in reality, but also sometimes, and I'm going to come on to, to one of my two favourite movie villains in a minute, sometimes... It's quite good if the villain doesn't know that they're a villain, if you see what I mean. I think if if the villain thinks... That they are actually, you know, that right is on their side. I think I think that's good. You have to understand their motivation. They can't just be, you know. Of course, we go, you know, the the, the old caricature, the, the Victorian melodrama, the twirly moustache villain. You know, that's all very well and it has its place. But I think that, that a really great movie villain very often thinks that they are they are right. They're doing right. Who is uh, the great for you? For me, Mark, the perfect example of that, Jim, is Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Who, who is this tyrannical matron at, at a psychiatric hospital? A wonderful film, one of the, the greatest films ever made, in my opinion, um, and played by Louise Fletcher, who was not a well-known actress, and, and various actresses turned that role down among the man Bancroft, but she did it. She did it brilliantly. She was she was incredibly. Scary because she thought that she was right. You know, she ran that ward and she controlled them. It was all about control. Uh, and she and there was that scene. And she was such a good villain that apparently, when the movie was first screened, there's that scene where the Jack Nicholson character tries to strangle her because she has basically been responsible for an inmate's suicide—a terrible terrible scene um, but similar I mean people were leaping out of their seats saying killer killer um, and it, you know if, if, a, if a movie can engage the audience to that extent then you know what better villain could there be let's let's hear a clip
0: Murphy doesn't want to take his medication orally I'm sure we can arrange that he can have it some other way
1: but I don't think you'd like it mr. McMurphy
0: I think she defined the term coercive control before it came into uh, wider consideration, didn't she, Brian? Uh, but Claudia, who, who scares you in, in movies and television?
3: Well, the first character I'm going to mention is, is one that just absolutely haunted my childhood dreams. I was traumatised by this for years. The the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I mean, mostly it's this enchanting story about a flying car. But there's a section where uh, Professor Potts and the family end up in Bulgaria, where the Queen hates children, and so she employs a child catcher, and he just, he looked terrifying. I mean, considering the film was made in the late 60s, uh, the prosthetics were actually really good. He had black witchy hair, and he wore a top hat, and he lured children into his wagon with sweets and lollipops, and then he sort of took them away and locked them in the dungeon. I, I think we have a little clip of that. Lollipop. And all free today.
0: Cherry pies, cream puffs, ice cream, treacle tarts, treacle tarts, and ice creams and all free. Come along, Kitty Winky.
3: Come on. Jeremy, Truly said we mustn't just to stay Truly, some as well.
0: Come on. I could feel a chill going down my spine just <laughs> listening to that. But that, that, Brian, played into the whole don't talk to strangers. There's a, a fear for children out on the streets. Uh, who else
2: has scared the living daylights out of you? Funnily enough, there's a connection with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang because Gert Frober, who played Baron Bomburst in that film, had also played Goldfinger about four years earlier. Uh, and for me, you know, I, I've already said that I prefer my villains to be rooted in reality, and there's nothing all that real and, about Bond films, but I think you have to have a Bond villain in your in your list. Or I do. He played Goldfinger. For me, that is the the ultimate Bond film. You know, with the best Bond, had the best name, had the best song, had the best henchman in Odd Job, who was played by that the Olympic wrestler Harold Sakata. But it also had the best villain. I thought he did a fantastic job. He was a German actor, not not all that well known, but. And, and actually, his voice was dubbed. They couldn't understand a word he said in English. You had to, so they had to dub his voice. So it's not actually his voice, but he was, but in every other way, he, he was he, he was fantastic. Let's just remind ourselves. Do you expect me to talk?
1: No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. There is nothing you can talk to me about that I don't already know.
0: Brilliant. Um, I'll tell you who used to scare me uh, when I was a kid. It's slightly going back to what you were saying, uh, Claudia, about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, this was a, this was being a, a child. I remember Davros. It also sounds like a Greek island, but Davros, the head of the Daleks. Imagine a single, simple Dalek succeeded where emperors and time lords have failed. A testament, don't you think? to my remarkable creation. He was physically scary, but he also had that calm, fearful control about him and uh, really, really terrifying. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go and hide behind the sofa. <laughs> yeah, well, it was. Right. used to
3: hide behind. And actually even the music, wasn't it? The music was terrifying for Doctor Who. I remember that used to frighten me as well. The, the second one I wanted to talk about is um, Annie Wilkes in Misery. Remember Paul Sheldon's number one fan. She was a really sort of a, a, a terrifying villain. She started off being this sort of gentle, homely, oddball woman living in the middle of nowhere, and then we sort of learned that she's actually a seriously disturbed serial killer. And um, Kathy Pates actually won the Academy Award for this. She was just brilliant in her portrayal. It was I love the fact that she was, even though she was a murderer, she hated swearing, and when she said things like, you dirty birdie, and you doody," it, it was far more sinister than any four-letter expletive. Um, I think we can listen to her here. Misery Chastain cannot be dead.
0: Annie, in
1: 1871, women often died in childbirth. But her spirit is the important thing, and misery spirit is still alive. I don't want
2: her spirit! I want her! And you murdered
0: her!
2: No! I didn't. Who did? No one. She, she died. She just slipped away.
0: Slipped away? Slipped away? She didn't just slip away! You did it! I was going to say before that clip, Brian, that, that <laughs> calmness is often a trait of villains. And, and She definitely wasn't calm in that one. But that is a, a real fear we have of the, the quietly spoken villain, isn't it?
2: Yes, absolutely. And, and going back to Nurse Ratchet, she was a she's another good example of that. Interesting that they're two female characters, and she also won the Oscar, I should say, Lu- Louise Fletcher for, for that part. I think you're right. I think that that calmness and the you know when, when they when they're shouting and screaming, it doesn't necessarily fill you with fear, but when they're that kind of icy calm that she. That both those female characters at the start, at least, because Kathy Bates, kind of, to start with in that movie, she she, she was, you know, we thought she was his number one fan. We, we, didn't, we didn't see anything too kind of unnerving about her, but it kind of grew and grew and grew, didn't it? And so it did with um, Louise Fletcher in, in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
0: Uh, and, and my favorite movie villain uh, definitely has a calmness. Anthony Hopkins as uh, Hannibal Lecter. Verbal calmness uh, before the storm is, is often a trait of, of villains. Here's perhaps his most famous verbal threatening turn in Silence of the Lambs.
1: A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some father beans and a nice Chianti. The
0: slurp at the end there, Brian. I could see you quivering (laughs) across Zoom at the very thought. Absolutely. Um, Brian, Claudia, we're on Zoom. I can see you already beginning to quake. Sweat is pricking on your upper lips. Uh, I think we better leave it there. Thanks very much. There is no question which song has become the soundtrack of Lockdown. And no wonder. We'll Meet Again, written by Ross Parker and Huey Charles, and recorded by Vera Lynn in September 1939, is the very definition of optimism.
4: We'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know where.
0: About a woman separated from her lover by war, its poignant insistence that times will inevitably get better has struck a chord for over 80 years, and none more so than right now. Virginia Lewis-Jones, Dame Vera's daughter, grew up with the song and knows well its ability to refresh the nation's reserves of hope. And I'm delighted to say Virginia is our guest on its Friday. Virginia, just tell me, how did your mum enjoy the uh, 75th anniversary of VE Day?
4: Oh, well, it was great fun, wasn't it, really? Um, We had a, a Spitfire fly past... Uh, He also went over Captain Tom, or Colonel Tom, I should say now. Uh, And then he went over East Grinstead, which was the um, McIndoo, Archie McIndoo Centre, where they did guinea pigs during the war. And he, he, um, uh, with plastic surgery, he rebuilt... uh, flyers faces that had been injured uh, and then he came over to us and he did a double twirl which was brilliant so that was great we were all watching avidly mummy was watching from the uh, French windows of the house that was good it was fun
0: and she, she joined in the sing song
4: uh, right at the very end yes we had half the village outside actually in the uh, drive who came to sing to her socially distanced of course <laughs> and so it was all a bit manic fortunately we've got a big drive <laughs> and that was great
0: fun it, it is amazing the way that we'll meet again, 75 years on, has sort of become the soundtrack of the lockdown.
4: Yes, it has. It has. Well, it's logical, really, when you think of it. I mean, the the words were very relevant then and they're just as relevant now. You know, people are parted, they can't see family, friends, etc., etc. Totally different situation. Uh, in some ways, just as dangerous uh, because you never know who is going to get the virus next or... Please, God, nobody does get the virus that, you know, but that there's a lot of people out there that haven't seen their loved ones for, well, months. And it's it's very um, uh, wearing not to be able to see or talk to uh, people that you're close to. So,
0: and, and the Queen, of course, alluded to it, didn't she? She mentioned the lyric it's part of a it's part of the kind of fabric of the national conversation in a way
4: it is it is one of our lovely co-hosts showed me the goggle box of uh, a couple of the goggle boxes that my mummy was on they obviously showed it it was one of the 1950s television and some of their comments were absolutely priceless it <laughs> just make you laugh it was brilliant
0: it was really really funny and and 75 years on it's interesting looking back at what your mum did during the war she was almost the key worker wasn't she she her role was to keep everybody's morale up. Yes,
4: absolutely. And uh, she was the only one, as you know, that went out to Burma to see the Forgotten 14th, which was amazing. Uh, she was the only one that did that, surrounded by God knows how many men, about 6,000 men, I think. And she thoroughly enjoyed that. And she felt that was part of her duty to go out there. Nobody else was going out there. So she felt it was part of her duty to go out there and to cheer the men up whenever she could.
0: And, and looking back, uh, Virginia, what lessons can we draw from what she did back then?
4: Well, huh? very difficult. I mean, she just got on with it, basically. You know, this is what I've got to do. This is what I feel I have to do. And to get on with it, I think a lot of I think these days, a lot of it's all oh, now. Is this going to suit me? And am I going to be all right if I do this? And am I going to be safe? Whereas she, like thousands and thousands of other people, Literally went out and did it because she thought she ought to, and because it was her duty to do it, uh, like our frontline nurses and doctors at the moment. That's what they feel they have to do, and it's the same thing on a completely different plane, but it's the same thing. She had to. That's what she felt to. She had to do.
0: She recorded that song uh, in September 1939, so it spread right through uh, yes. the war and it was with her ever since. Presumably, it was with you throughout your entire life, was oh, it?
4: Absolutely, you know, all the time. <laughs> it beca- I think it became our national, uh, homely national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, there it is again. Oh, well, fine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've got to put you on the spot, okay? I've got to put you right on the spot. Too extraordinary iconic songs that your mother was associated with Uh, we'll meet again and there'll be bluebirds over the white cliffs of Dover which is your favourite Virginia oh
4: gosh Um, I think probably uh, white cliffs of Dover there'll be
2: bluebirds over the white cliffs
4: of Dover tomorrow If I had to have a choice, the other one is terribly iconic and it means such a lot to thousands and thousands and thousands of people, as does the other one. Because, as my mother always says, you know, it's the first thing that the servicemen saw when they came back were the White Cliffs of Dover, and I don't know why, but I just find that if if I had to have a choice, probably for me that would have been it.
0: I don't think it's possible to encapsulate optimism in dire circumstances as brilliantly as the lyrics of we'll meet again did. And presumably that's why it stuck with us because lyrically it was so astute.
4: Yes. Yes. I mean, it's as, as I said before, and as she always says, you know, it was very relevant then it's very relevant now. It's always relevant because people are always parting, traveling, going away, all being well, coming back. You know, there, there's always this separation. People are always separate it, coming back, going away, coming back. And it applies in any situation, really.
0: And your mum is now, you know, a, 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 a centurion. She's uh, she's living on uh, in, in great health. Um, do, do you think that sort of optimism is something we can all draw on? That That is why she has lived so long, that sense of looking forward?
4: Uh, yes, but not only that, I think that era, they were a different breed. Uh, there's so many people who are still living uh, round about that age. And I think having been through what they went through, the war, the terrible times, as far as mommy's concerned, going to Burma as well, built probably an inner resilience, which stayed with them. You know, once you've got it, it doesn't leave you no matter what the situation is really that's probably one of the main reasons that's why most of the um uh what's it hundred (laughs) arians whatever the word is have a particular mindset and i think that's because of what they went through in the war and oh well just got to get on with it you know and make the best of it etc etc
0: and does your mum say to you don't worry virginia this will be over soon
4: (laughs) well no she doesn't actually as it happens (laughs) (laughs) she just said well when's it going to end what are we doing (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I said, it would be lovely if somebody could say, well, actually, on the 23rd of June, we're going to be all right, but nobody can. <laughs> it's not, well, it was the same with the war. Nobody knew really when the war was going to end. It could have gone ad infinitum. You know, who knew? Uh, and it's the same sort of situation, totally different situation, but the same sort of feel.
0: And and as a last thought, uh, Virginia, on on VE Day uh, back in uh, April 1945, what did your mum do? Was she singing in the middle of Trafalgar Square?
4: (laughs) No, she was actually sitting in the garden in uh, East Ham, barking with her parents and her grandmother, and they were sitting in the garden uh, listening to the radio, having a cup of tea to celebrate. I think they'd probably have something stronger later, like some sherry. Oh, Tom's just said yes, it was sherry, actually. (laughs) but um that's what she that's what they were doing on 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 ve day
0: shout out class of sherry and no doubt listening on the radio to will Uh, meet again
4: yeah yeah very likely yes absolutely
0: (laughs) virginia that's fantastic thank you so much pleasure it's time for Hits and Misses, where the Daily Mail's writers turn their expert eye to the week's new releases and tell us what's worth catching and what you should embark on a 230-mile road trip to avoid. First up, the Daily Mail's film man, Brian Viner. Uh, Brian, last week you had to go back in time <laughs> to find us something uh, to watch. Are there some new releases for, for you this week?
2: Yeah, there are, Jim. Yeah, there's, there's one called The High Note, which is available today uh, through streaming platforms and video on demand, uh, quite a big release actually, made by Universal, but they decided to uh, release it straight onto streaming platforms and not wait, not postpone it for the cinema's reopening. So it stars Dakota Johnson as the, she's a sort of hardworking assistant to a world famous pop diva. Played by Tracy uh, Ellis Ross, whose mother is the great Diana Ross, so she may have possibly borrowed uh, from her from her own mum in her portrayal, so Dakota plays a character called Maggie, and she is this the p a and she 's got to do lots of rather sort of mundane things, but she secretly hankers after a career as a producer and so so while she's kind of juggling that job, she meets a guy in a supermarket, played by Kelvin Harrison Jr., who turns out to be a rather good singer, and she tells him that she's already this kind of hotshot producer, so she's, she's juggling these two jobs. Let's listen to a clip. What do you think of this?
0: Do you think it's too booby? Mm, yes. Oh, perfect. You can go. Oh, okay, great, thank you so much. No, no, not you. You guys can go. Thank oh, you. No, Thanks. Okay, okay bye. Davis. Well, Margaret, yeah. are you sure all of this is still okay with you?
5: Because
0: um, after that little show at the recording studio, I'm not sure. Because if there is something else you want to be doing, I don't want you to be here if you don't want to be here.
4: No, Grace, I w- Um, Yes?
0: I want to be here. Good, because I want to go through my closet. And donate things that aren't sparking joy or whatever. That is full diva. That is a diva yeah. who needs someone to go through their closet.
2: Exactly. And that's the problem, you see, because uh, because the diva, Grace, is telling her to do all these things like go through their closet. And actually, really, what Maggie wants to do is to be a producer. And she's been in the studio. She's been secretly recutting Grace's last album. Grace keeps churning out all her old hits uh, and her manager played by Ice Cube uh, thinks that's great and he wants her to take up a a residency in Vegas doing the same show night after night but Maggie thinks that she should be recording new stuff so there's there's all that going on plus the young guy uh, David who she is kind of trying to nurse into stardom Um, all of which is very well but the problem with this movie really is the is I think the script in that it has that it crams in so many references to other music acts to, to, to show us that this is the world of, of of music and and you know so we hear references to Rihanna and Elton John and Paul Simon in virtually every other sentence just to kind of lend it an air of credibility and actually what it does is is kind of puncture its credibility because you just think oh for heaven's sake you know can you can you just stop with these references all the time <laughs> Nina Simone you know they just a just a constant. So um, you begin to tire of it, or I began to tire of it pretty quickly. There's a twist in the third act, Jim, which which beggars credibility. You can't, you you don't believe in it in a second. But by then, you may well have lost patience with it anyway. I mean, Dakota Johnson's lovely, she's, you know, she's, a, she's an engagingly winsome actress and, and actually Tracy Ellis Ross does a, does a fine job too the acting's not the problem here I think it's the script so you're going to ask me if it's a hit or a miss and I'm going to have to say, it is a miss <laughs>
0: Oh, dear. So one not worth uh, investing in your streaming service. What else have you got for us this week, Brian?
2: There's a very interesting documentary called Mike Wallace is Here. Now, British listeners may not be familiar with the name of Mike Wallace. He was a, a an American television legend. If you could think of if you imagined Jeremy Paxman... Rolled into David Frost, rolled into Bruce Forsyth, uh, which I know takes a little bit of a that is an interesting combination, Brian. Uh, but I'm guy, trying to work that one out. <laughs> this guy, Mike Wallace, he was the he was a correspondent on the Current Affairs show, 60 Minutes, which is huge over there. It's like I, I don't know what Newsnight come um, or, or I don't know Panorama. Before all that, he was an actor, he was a game show host, hence the Brucey reference, and he advertised soap powder on television. He did all kinds of things. He's no longer with us. He died, he was a good old age of 93 when he died in, in uh, 2012, I think. But this documentary is very, very, very interesting, and it picks some uh, incredible clips from the archives of interviews that he did with. An, incra- an amazing array of people from eleanor roosevelt to salvador dali to richard nixon betty davis and also well let's just hear this clip there is a new billionaire in town trump's the name donald trump is a major deal
0: maker a swashbuckler donald you're in your late 30s you got 40 years to live minimal. well i hope you're right about that what are you going to do Uh, There are a lot of things to do. You know, a fertile imagination and a good fertile mind, Mike, it's an amazing, it's really amazing what can be thought of. There are so many things to do. Politics? So many, no, not politics. You've said that you could do a better job at negotiating an arms control agreement with the Soviets than some of these professionals who've been trying to do it for years. I didn't say me, Mike, I said somebody has to do it. If it were me, that'd be fine, I could do it. Somebody has to help this country, and if they don't, the country and the world are in big trouble. Because within a short period of time, as sure as we're sitting here, there's not going to be a country and there's not going to be a world.
2: Mike Wallace is to blame. He put the <laughs> idea in Trump's head. <laughs> Isn't that great? Now you've got they've got the Donald Trump in his late thirties saying unequivocally that he's not going to go into politics. Uh, but it's um, it's so it's such an interesting documentary made by a guy called Abby Belkin. And actually what's one of the things that's interesting about it, Jim, is that it uses those those interviews that he did mike wallace to sort of shed light on on him and his life and he had a, a quite a tumultuous personal life he, he 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 was married four times he lost a son in a in a terrible accident in in greece and he also had severe depression, which drove him almost to suicide. So there's all that to tell us, plus these amazing clips and the, and the story of his remarkable career. It's a really interesting documentary, whether you've heard of him or not. I'll just remind you of the title. It's called Mike Wallace is Here and it's available on streaming sites. I think it's on Curzon Home Cinema from today. So and, that, and is it a hit or a miss for you? Well, no? it's, it's, it's very, very uh, definitely a hit.
0: Thanks for that, Brian. I'd never heard of Mike Wallace. I'm going to go and seek that one out now. Now, I'm joined by the male's music critic, Adrian Thrill's Adrian. We're talking about the scion of one of the great British musical dynasties. So, uh, Adrian, this week, uh, you're talking about um, the scion of a a great uh, rock and roll dynasty, or rather a folk rock dynasty.
1: Indeed, folk rock royalty. Um, It's Teddy Thompson, who's the son of Richard and Linda Thompson, who, who funnily enough, Mark Ronson, the American DJ, he's just released a brilliant cover of their... If um, their seventies hit, I want to see the bright lights tonight. He said it was the song that he kept on thinking of in lockdown, and he's done a brilliant cover of it. So, so, uh, so Teddy's mum and dad's still relevant, and uh, and Teddy himself, uh, he's he's just released a, a really nice new album. It's one of those classic breakup albums, rather like um, you know Fleetwood Mac's Rumours. Uh, Amy's Back to Black, Joni Mitchell's Blue. It's, he's kind of joining that proud catalogue of uh, of heartbreak albums. In fact, this one's called Heartbreaker Please and um, sort of chronicles his breakup with an unnamed New York actress who he'd been dating for for some years. And um, it's, it's a really good record, some great lyrics. He states his case from the opening song, which is called Why Wait? And the opening lines are, Here's the thing, you don't love me anymore, I can tell you've got one foot out of the door and it kind of goes downhill from then really. But at the same time, he's, his, the lyrics are, are quite bereft and dampy, but the music itself puts a really bright spin on his heartache. They're really upbeat, well-crafted tunes. He's got a lovely, smooth voice. He has something of the tone of um, like Roy Orbison or Chris Isaac. And it's like hearing kind of the lyrics of Elvis Costello sung by Chris Isaac. Uh, I think there's a song we're going to hear called At A Light where he imagines his, his ex suddenly being struck by feelings of remorse and guilt, whether she's waiting at a traffic light or a song comes on the radio or she's revealingly on a movie set or on a jet plane where she suddenly feels these pangs of guilt at the end of the relationship. So uh, so we'll have a listen to that one. One day soon when you're all
0: alone at a light. Oh, oh. the going like to arrow. Oh. You know what, AJ is the son of British folk rock royalty.
1: Yeah, that sounds very American. It does sound not in the slightest bit folky either, is it? I mean, he, I think he says he grew up listening to the Everly Brothers and Chuck Berry and maybe some country stars like um, George Jones and Dolly. And yeah, it's very slick kind of FM radio rock, isn't it? You know, What I like about this album is none of the tracks are more than three minutes long. It's like a real jukebox pop album and they're really catchy tunes. I mean, if he's, if he's upset, he's hiding it pretty well. So uh, for you, Adrian,
0: uh, one to
1: download, is it a hit or a miss? Absolutely a hit. There's some great pop songs on there and it's one that I'll be returning to over the weekends. <laughs> And what else
0: have you got for us this week, Adrian?
1: Well, the other album, the second album of the week, um, is by a New Jersey singer called Nicole Atkins. And again, this is one with a slightly slightly retro flavour. She is from Asbury Park, the hometown or sort of the very nearly hometown of Bruce Springsteen. Uh, she covered Bruce's Dancing in the Dark for a tribute album a couple of years ago. And she's kind of immersed herself in those classic sounds of American pop, the kind of brill-building songwriters, the Ronettes, the girl groups of the, of the 60s. The album's called Italian Ice, and it's it's like a salute to the Asbury Park boardwalk. I think the boardwalk, it kind of has like a mythical significance in American pop culture. It's a kind of place of dreams and romance and escape. And she's kind of immersed herself in into all that kind of mythology but she's also put together a really good backing band she's got members of Nick Cave's Bad Seeds uh, the Dap Kings who recorded with Amy Winehouse and some of the Muscle Shoals rhythm section who who played on some of Aretha's albums and she made the album in Muscle Shoals and it's got a nice kind of again a southern soul flavour on some tracks, but more than that, a, a kind of vintage 60s pop feel. It's a lovely kind of, it's a real summer record, actually. It's got those kind of bright summer sounds and maybe the kind of thing, thing we need right now. The track we're going to hear is called Domino, which, again, takes those classic pop elements, but also adds a little bit of a, bit of a disco groove to it as well. You can hear elements of... The opening sounds a bit like um, the Bee Gees' "Staying Alive," and even the, the Rolling Stones miss you when the Stones try to do a bit of disco. So, uh, but again, a, a really good pop song. Which I think we'll have a listen to now. Tick, tick, tick,
0: tock. Time is
2: up. This
0: You've given us some great names uh, recently, Charlie XCX, etc. Nicole Atkins, it doesn't sound that exotic, but is this a hit or a miss for you, Adrian? Uh,
1: yes, yeah, she's she stuck to her real name, which is uh, unusual for a, a kind of a female pop star these days. Yeah, we had Charlie XCX, we had Waxahachie we had a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Um, uh, but this one, yeah, for Nicole, it's definitely a hit. <laughs>
0: And finally, Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television writer. Uh, Claudia, what's TV got in store for us this week?
3: Um, what well, Space Force, which is new to Netflix from tonight. There's been lots of buzz and excitement about it because it's the first TV comedy Steve Carell has done since The Office. Um, he created the series along with Greg Daniels, uh, who he, he worked with on The Office, and uh, Greg Daniels also wrote Parks and Recreation. Steve Carell, he stars as General Mark Ned, who's just acquired his fourth star and um, making him the most senior air force man in the USA. And he thinks he's in for a plum role, but instead he's assigned to head the president's pet project, Space Force. A space Force is actually real. It's, it's a Trump initiative, a, a $700 billion scheme to make sure that the USA has space dominance. We, we can listen to a clip here.
1: Our nation's internet, including Twitter, runs through our vulnerable space satellites. POTUS wants complete space dominance, Boots on the moon by 2024. To that end, the president is creating a new branch, Space Force, which Mark will run. Why? In close cooperation with Air Force, which kick will still head. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. This is not a joke. His words, boots on the moon in 2024. Actually, he said, boobs on the moon, but we believe that to be a typo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm already enjoying this, Claudia.
3: Um, yeah, it's, it's a satirical comedy. Uh, and The supporting cast in this are brilliant. Uh, Lisa Kudrow plays his wife. John Malkovich is a very sarcastic scientist. And, and what's really nice is that Fred Willard, who, who died earlier this month, is, is in this as well. It's, it's his last role. He plays Carell's father um there's 10 episodes and it gets better as it goes along. The first episode is actually a, a little bit ropey but um you, you, you have to sort of stick with it it's it's clever and it's it's original it, it clearly costs an absolute fortune. It's very funny in places you know It's it's, it's not the greatest comedy that Corell has ever done but uh, I think it, it will give people a few laughs at the weekend.
0: So uh, Claudia space force you say the first uh, uh, editions a, a, a bit of a slog but uh, overall hit or miss.
3: Overall, I'm going to say that it's a hit. Uh, And
0: what else have you uh, uh, you got? I, I, I saw something about Alan Carr sort of revisiting all the old game shows of the past. I mean, is that any good?
3: Yeah, well, he's starting Saturday night. There's this thing called Alan Carr's Epic Game Show on, on ITV. So, yeah, over the next five weeks, he's going to be revamping some classic game shows. And uh, it's The Price is Right, Take Your Pick, Strike It Lucky, and Bullseye. And things kick off on Saturday with a, a celebrity edition of Play Your Cards Right. Do you remember that from the oh, yes. 80s with Bruce Forsyth? Higher, lower, That's yep. That's it. Nothing for a pair, not in this game. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you have to predict whether a card from a pack will be high or lower than the previous one. It's had a bit of a PC clean-up, because I don't even remember, Bruce used to have his dolly dealers. Do you remember the, the glamorous uh, woman dishing yeah. out the cards? Can't have that anymore. No. Um, no. A- Eamon Holmes and Ruth Langsford um, end up playing for the jackpot, and they do very well.
0: So, uh, Claudia, it's, it's the new PC, Alan Carr. Um, does it work? Is it
3: fun? It, you know, I, I really love Alan Carr. I think he's very funny. He's very entertaining. I loved him in Chatty Man, and, and he, he's good in this. I'm not quite sure why there was a need to sort of revamp all these, all these game shows. We, we can have a little listen, actually. Take your
0: pick, bullseye, and play your cards right. What a relief to see Bully back in the opening titles. 180! <laughs> bigger games, bigger prizes. It's guaranteed to be a night of surprises. Better than any night on the town. So if you game, come on down! I assume from the audience noise that this was recorded long before lockdown.
3: Yeah, there's a studio audience, which actually looks very strange today. So it must have been recorded quite a while ago. Yeah. Um,
0: I know you please this back. I mean, does it work? Is it a, is it a concept that, that we should be reviving?
3: I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it, it's sort of, it, it's good fun and it, it fills a hole on a, on a Saturday night, but I, I think I'd rather have seen a new, a new game show. I'm not, I'm not sure why we needed to sort of revamp the old ones really.
0: So where are you going, Claudia, hit I'm, or I'm, miss?
3: I'm going to say that this is a miss.
0: Well, now you know what will brighten your lockdown and what should be kept at all times at a distance of at least two metres. My thanks to Brian. Claudia and Adrian. Now let's find out how the city that never sleeps continues to cope with lockdown. The Mail's own celebrity celebrity reporter, Jackie Stephen, is in a high-rise apartment surveying a city that still appears to be in hibernation. Uh, Jackie, there's a big launch on American television this week, isn't there?
5: You are indeed right. It was the new series of America's Got Talent. And it was very, very good, I have to say. Uh, some really funny acts, uh, inevitably, uh, but some actually very moving ones as well. And- the main one really for me was a man called Archie Williams uh, who sang Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me and Elton John has made a statement saying how moving he found it and there's quite a good story behind it. it. As always, there are always good stories behind these things on uh, America's Got Talent. And this is a man who served 37 years in prison mm-hmm. for a crime he didn't commit. He's from Louisiana. And in 1982, a woman was raped and murdered. And he was put in prison for it and he didn't do it uh, there were three witnesses who put him at home at the time and it was only in 2019 that dna evidence released him quite extraordinary story incredibly moving performance and So when he is singing, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, it it gave new meaning to it. And Simon Cowell said, it was an audition I'll never forget for the whole of my life. And you couldn't forget it because it's, don't let the sun go down on me, you know, don't forget me. And one of the most moving things Archie said was, uh, I went to prison, but I never let my mind go to prison. And it was one of the greatest performances. His voice wasn't the most brilliant performance ever. You know, he's no Pavarotti. But the intensity with which he sang the song and with incredible meaning uh, was just breathtaking. It was a very interesting performance in a week when racism is really big-time news uh, in the States with the death of George Floyd. This was a man who was killed by a police officer who had his knee on the man's neck for eight minutes and the man subsequently died in hospital. He wasn't resisting arrest. He was handcuffed and it's caused riots. Somebody has already died in the riots in Minneapolis. An absolutely tragic story and racism is a real problem here. I watch CNN a lot and Don Lemon, one of the presenters on it, is a wonderful, wonderful presenter. And he said that there are two problems in this country at the moment. One is two viruses. One is COVID-19, and the other one is racism. And I wasn't aware of how bad racism was in this country until really a few years ago. And I've been here 11 years. But it really dominates the news headlines all the time now, and quite rightly so. And it's up to every individual to do something about it.
0: Uh, so those are the two viruses that are affecting America at the moment. How, how is the fight against COVID going? How, how is the man in charge of it coping?
5: He All he is concerned about is Twitter at the moment. He is complaining because Twitter fact-checked something that he'd written about election ballots. And now he is saying, I will close them all down. He said, they are stopping free speech amongst conservatives and I as president will shut them down. The irony of that has totally passed him by. What I think we're witnessing is something akin to Shakespeare. It's He is King Lear. The interesting thing about King Lear is that Lear grows progressively more insane due to all the bad things happening to him. But then... More thing, bad things happen to him because he's grown insane. And I think that what we're witnessing is a King Lear figure. In 1609, there was a plague in the UK, and they say that this was the period when Shakespeare wrote King Lear because he had to be indoors. Now, the plague three years previous to that killed 10% of London's population, including Shakespeare's landlady. Now, it would be very interesting whether he did write Kingly at this time. There's very strong evidence. It's certainly Shakespeare's darkest play. And in a way, what I think we're seeing now is inadvertently King Lear being written again by the President himself.
0: Uh, one thing though, uh, Jackie, if he is rewriting um, King Lear it'll be on Twitter at 140 characters at a time, won't it?
5: <laughs> yes, little by little. Uh, interestingly, <laughs> uh, the plague uh, did in fact shut down all the theatres, which of course is what's happened with Broadway. And it looks as though Broadway's not going to open till next year now, which is incredibly sad for all the actors. Equity has said and they're not Although,
0: Jackie, we, we've seen pictures of German theatres uh, where they've taken out the seats and they've put uh, smaller numbers of seats in and, and to work their way through uh, a kind of social distancing with theatres. Uh, Broadway, no, no sense of that happening then?
5: That's not going to happen in America because the Actors Union Equity have said, absolutely not. Until there's a vaccine, their actors aren't safe, and they've said, full stop. Even though actors are out of work and are really suffering, equity has said, no way are they going back to work.
0: Well, Jackie, we know who you would want uh, instead of uh, President Trump. Uh, How is your relationship with Andrew Cuomo?
5: Andrew Cuomo has been outside my window this week. No. I have to say, not, not as close to my window as I'd have liked, but Intrepid, the huge ship uh, that is now an, an air and space museum, is outside my window. And he did his press conference from there this week. And it was wonderful. He's also done, with his daughter Mariah, a fantastic competition about wear a mask. And they, the competition brought 600 entries, and they're going to be public service announcements. They picked two to be public public service announcements, encouraging people to wear a mask, as we're all being told to do. The entries were really incredible, and the death figures in New York City have come down incredibly. We are still a city it is shut down, and it still looks as if it's going to be that way. But we obey his directive. We wear masks.
0: Yeah, but um, Jackie, until that proposal of marriage comes, um, I'm not going to trust Cuomo. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, to be honest, I've got off the idea of marriage now because if a, if a pandemic came along and I'd have to live with someone, I would be a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me man is good for one thing putting the
0: bins out that's it I've got to go now bins don't take themselves out Jackie <laughs> and that's it from It's Friday we'll be back next week and every week via Spotify Apple and Google don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk and if you'd like to drop us a line we're on It's Friday at mailplus.co.uk Until next week,
5: I'm Jim White. Keep staying safe.